From the high desert of northern New Mexico, this is Circle for Original Thinking. I am your host, Glenn Apodicio Perry. Welcome to Circle for Original Thinking, America's electronic talking circle for visionary thinkers. An open forum for fresh ideas and timeless wisdom applied to today's political and ecological challenges. Each week, we bring together creative thinkers from a variety of different traditions, and we ask the hard questions on the important issues of the day, political polarization, climate change, virulent viruses, and other symptoms of humanity being out of balance with the natural world. Our goal is to recreate a whole and sacred America, a new and improved version of E Pluribus Unum, from the many to the one. And this time, not leave anybody out. Join us as we embark on this quest. Have we been looking at time all wrong? Instead of looking for linear cause and effect, should we be looking for relationship? The late Anishinaabe elder Tobasanaqua Canoe thought so. He preferred to think of time as what kinds of things want to happen together. Is it just a coincidence that some of the most innovative researchers into time and dreams think similarly? People like Monty Ullman, James Hillman, and today's guests, Judy Gardner and Cynthia Sue Larson, have noticed that our, our dreams freely cull events from what we call the past, present, and future into one homeopathic serving. In short, the past, present, and future are all the same. Time does not really exist in dreams, at least not in the same way that enables us to make our schedules in the light of day. And while dreams are one way to burst the linear bubble of time, there are other ways too. Even while awake, we can learn how to access interdimensional portals of time that connect with our ancestors in the most creative ways. It may even come back to life, among other ways of sliding back and forth into parallel realities that break apart our limited view of time. What are the larger consequences of this research into dreams and times? Join us as we go beyond our limited concepts of time, space, and dreams to explore the coming breakthrough in consciousness. So our guest today, Cynthia Sue Larson, and Judy Gardner, how are you today? Great. I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. All right, uh, Cynthia is is uh, on the line from from California, from the Bay Area, and Judy Gardner's in New York, and uh, and of course I'm here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So uh, I want to introduce our guests, and then we'll get and we'll dive in. Cynthia Sue Larson is one of the foremost researchers in time, time travel, reality shifts, and the Mandela effect. She's the best-selling author of Quantum Jumps, Reality Shifts, and High Energy Money. She has a degree in physics from UC Berkeley and also has an MBA and Doctor of Divinity and a second-degree black belt in Cook Tzu Wang. I don't even know what that is, Cynthia, but I'm not going to mess around with you. I, I never would before anyway, but, you know, but, but Cynthia will take care of you with one way or the other, with love, the laws of physics, or 
If all else fails, uh, maybe a kick or maybe a sidekick. Is that where you're going to come in, Judy? I don't know. Cynthia's founder of Reality Shifters. She's president of the International Mandela Effect Conference, which is really a fascinating thing she may be speaking to us about. She's the managing director of Foundations of Mind and creator and host of Living the Quantum Dream uh, podcast and radio program. She has been featured on the Gaia and History Channel, Coast to Coast AM, One World with Deepak Chopra, and the BBC. And Cynthia likes to ask, how good can it get? And you can find her on the web at realityshifters.com. Now, I first met Judy Gardner through Cynthia at a Foundations of Mind conference where Judy was presenting her research on dreams that were inspired in part through her association with the late Monty Ullman, who was acclaimed for his work in REM sleep and ESP. I did a double take when Judy began to speak because it was obvious, one, that she had a lot of love for Monty, who I also knew and admired. And then she proceeded to take us on a magical mystery tour through the collective unconscious, touching on geology, medicine, astronomy, neuroscience, optics, paleoanthropology, physics, mathematics, and more, with dreams coming through her in, the, in certain personages of history, Steno, Madame Curie, Galen, Ptolemy, and others, all of which she recorded and coded over many years, and then, and then she created this 667-page magnum opus called Lavender that chronicles this amazing journey and connects her personal concerns with cosmic events, an ability, she says, that other dreamers can learn to cultivate. And Judy is now fine-tuning a decades-long research study targeted to the scientific community, which explores the interconnection of neural correlates, electromagnetism, and corresponding Earth and human behaviors. The destination is planetary consciousness. So welcome, Welcome to the program. Um, I wanted to read something very briefly from uh, uh, first uh, Cynthia's book, Reality Shifts, which has an amazing cover on it. Since this is an audio podcast, I'll use your, your listeners have to use your imagination. So imagine an eye with uh, uh, the earth in that eye, and that's the reflection you're looking at, and it's a very beautiful image. Um, so this is from the very beginning of Reality Shifts, and it's an important foundational concept, and I was taken aback when I read it. Many dictionaries say reality is the state of things as they are or as they appear to be rather than as one might wish them to be. And they define real as existing or occurring in the physical world, not imaginary, fictitious, dreamlike, or theoretical. What we wish for, dream, and imagine is the very framework and foundation of everything we create. In other words, the essence of all that is real springs forth from all that is not yet real. And I'm going to go to uh, Cynthia for her reaction, or really just to give us a, uh, 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 her explanation of that, and then we'll go read a little piece from Judy. 
and ask for Judy to. So yeah. go ahead, Cynthia. Thank you. Okay, well, that's such a great beginning because it really does bring us to where we stand with regard to our Western view of what is reality. And, you know, when it comes to language, this is something I've really learned the most about through your conferences, Glenn, <laughs> the Language of Spirit conferences, which are have been fabulous. I got such a clear sense of of how language is often assumed to be one thing, yet the actuality of our language is that very often it could quite possibly be shaping the way we think, according to the Benjamin Lee Whorf hypothesis. And I'm not going to get into all that, but uh, let's stay focused on reality. What we're seeing here in that dictionary definition, which is such a Western view of reality, that reality is just those things as they are or as we can measure them, in other words, how they look, how they feel, their length, height, weight, and all that sort of thing. And most people raise their children in Western civilization to tell their children, you're, you think you're talking to a friend, but we call that an imaginary friend. That's not real. Hmm. And so then in Western civilization, um, we really focus on this, what we consider uh, truth being that's what we call real, these measurables, and then the imaginary realm is dreamlike, theoretical, and sometimes there's definitely a um, there's some sort of a feeling of it being put down, actually. That's what I was getting to about how we raise our children. Like, that's just an imaginary friend. Um, you know, I, I once heard that my grandmother's sister was, had died, and I broke into tears, and I felt such grief that um, just heartbreak. I loved her so much. And then my father mm -hmm. got upset with me and said, you never met her. <laughs> and it's one of those mm -hmm. moments where there's a truth to how we feel that's, and what we can dream and what we know that is beyond what many of our Western scientists would say is real. Mm, perfect, perfect. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We also sometimes say it's just a dream, right? Or, or we say just a nightmare, you know, and I... I always thought, hmm, no, there's no just about these things. <laughs> Very powerful. So, and Judy, I want to read a little bit from, I think this is uh, uh, Galen, the per personage of Galen, speaking to the protagonist, Penelope, uh, in your uh, book, Lavender. And it goes like this. You on Earth are experiencing a period of vast planetary change. The old patterns of dealing with the world are no longer working. If these changes are reflected in your dreams, Penelope, they are also playing across the unconscious screens of dreamers the world over. Because the dream is incorruptible, we believe the cosmic dream is working out the flaws in a disconnected and fragmented society and serves as an untapped resource for global healing. Sensitivity to your stress with your birth mother, a simile for Mother Earth, was translated in your dreams to an increase in stress within the tectonic plates and to the massive changes that are and will be occurring in and on the Earth. That is how unified every being is with the planet. The whole cannot heal without the part and every being is a part. 
So, Judy, enlighten us as to uh, the context of that, and uh, and uh, uh, and feel free to build on what Cynthia has said as well in laying down that foundation in the way we look at what is real. Yeah, so I can. I think I can respond to both of you quite simply. Is that in my experience of waking and dreaming? It was and continues to be fully integrated. Um, the fragmentary notion of dreams is only that because for me to have made any sense of all of this science, which I had never studied, required me to integrate to put the puzzle pieces together because it was not making any sense. It was hither and thither, you know. And so um, in doing that, I used something called visual associative recognition memory. And I started mm -hmm. to build like a little glossary of the characters, for example in my dreams that were as they were appearing made absolutely no sense. For example, my cousin Andy was always eating pizza. Mm -hmm. In my she never ate pizza. She was always on a diet. And this is <laughs> this is confusing to me. Long story short, once I started to get into geology I realized that Andy was the moniker for andesite, a volcanic lava, and the mm. peak was showing up continuously, and that became piezoelectricity, which happens mm. under the earth with certain chemicals. So, mm. you know, it just went on and on and on with these... these um, Connections, and you know, I mean, it was, for example, my mother, as you had have referred um, to, Glenn was was she became Mother Earth, and all, I was always thinking about plates, plates and plates and plates and plates. Well, always <laughs> with me and the plates. I mean, I barely cooked at all, but sometimes they were. Sometimes they were license plates, and sometimes they were x-ray plates. When I finally, the bulb lit, I think the seers were getting a little impatient with me, but the bulb finally lit. <laughs> we're talking about tectonic plates. Yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that of this, um, when the sciences were established, that was when, that was my first chore, but that was then when the interrelationship of this web, this web of interrelationships between the sciences and the spirits and the family and our earth and the, all of the issues that we are dealing with were coming to light along with warnings, along with very serious concern from these mentors. Of which there were. Wow. And so um, I don't know. I think I went off on a tangent, but. 
No, you're 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 just on a you're on a on a I'm tectonic on a roll. roll. You're on a roll. You yeah. know, we'll be we'll be we'll be we'll be we'll be going out later not for pizza but sushi rolls. I don't know, but but anyway, um uh, you, I wanted to say one thing, Judy, about the, the, the piezoelectricity also. I mean, isn't that also a, a very important property in quartz crystal? Yes. And, and, and the most abundant presence on the earth. And it also has a very uh, a, a integral relationship with time. So, you know, I mean, so this this uh, uh, quartz crystal is how we is, is what we use in watches and other timepieces and things like that. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's something. Yeah, there's something very deep there. And that that leads me into what I kind of want to uh, bring up to you guys next. Now we're going to dive a little bit deeper and and something that I'm always thinking about. Uh, I mean, frankly, I'm so blessed to have you both on this show because my two favorite subjects in the world probably are here, time and uh, dreams. <laughs> so thank you. And thank you, Cynthia, for mentioning the language of spirit conferences that you participated in and some very unusual programs where we had where we brought together Native American elders and Western scientists, and we were talking about things like time and origin. And so... Uh, and it's probably Native Americans where I've, that, have, uh, uh, that have really um, offered me the most interesting ideas about the cosmos. So I want to start there. Because yeah. when we look up at, at, to the stars at night, you know, according to Western science, we're looking up into the past. We're seeing the light from thousands, if not millions of years ago. But we're also having an immediate experience. We, we see the stars right now. <laughs> you know, and, and for millennia, people planned. They did all their planning based on the stars, where they were right there. You know, for the Navajo, um, the North Star is really important because that's considered to be the central fire. And everything else is revolving around that, including the Milky Way itself, which for the Navajo, they, they, they start their new year at the time in, it's kind of like the Chinese New Year, late January, early February, where they can look up in the sky and see the entire Milky Way's encircling, uh, uh, no matter what direction you look, you can see the Milky Way. Of course, you have to be in a place where there's no light pollution. <laughs> um, and... And that's kind of, that's part of the relationship, but also things like, you know, what we call the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. They're talking about that as the male revolving one and the female revolving one. It's all about relationships around that central fire. And it's all about everybody interrelating with everybody else. And it also seems to go beyond time. You know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not, it's both. It's both the past and it's now. So I wonder, you know, what um, you, you guys think about how this applies to the nature of time and the dream world. So what is the real nature of time and how does our dream world open up something within us that expands our notion of time and space. 
So that's my question. Who would like to answer it first? I can, I'll start. And then. <laughs> okay, sure. Okay, because this is so exciting. I, I'm so grateful to you, Glenn, for helping to organize these those Language of Spirit conferences. You quickly had mentioned previously that Anishinaabe elder Tavasanaquit Kinu, and I was fortunate and blessed enough to be sitting next to him. Who knew that this many years later we'd be mentioning him so prominently with that comment he made that the way he thought about time, his preference was to think, to ask the question, what kind of things want to happen together? And that totally is a mind-blowing kind of question. It sort of turns the topic on its ear um, from that Western biased viewpoint that somehow that there's some such thing as objective time, because we have clocks and we schedule our calendars and we figure out when we're going to talk to one another. That's one kind of time, but we also know that each of us individually experiences time on a much deeper, fuller level. And it's such a subjective experience that is, and that's not a bad word, that's not a dirty word, because quantum physics is showing us increasingly so that there is perhaps only subjective reality. And this idea that we have that there's one objective truth might not be true at all. That's, this is coming out, this is not my opinion, it's coming out of laboratory research that's been published work of um, uh, it's just amazing work out of the University of Vienna, Austria, in collaboration with Edinburgh, Scotland, published in 2019. And they were looking at um, basically the double slit experiment, noticing that two measuring devices absolutely can be in the same place and same time and see two different things. That um, should have been the news story of 2019, in my opinion. <laughs> and I think because if we could just agree that we all see things differently, and everybody's got their own perspective, and we have all these truths are can be simultaneously accurate and even correct, but they don't necessarily need to all agree with one another. And that's the this is the kind of subjective I'm talking about. Um, some people might think, oh, she just means some soft subjective. No, I'm talking about a literally um, mind blowing kind of subjective where we totally have different possible big bang bang events in the far, far distant past um, that when the, this universe first began. So I, I love this idea that you're asking about, about the connection with dreams and time. I think that's a big one because the sub subjective experience with the depth that's so much more than a clock can measure, any human will notice when uh, very life-changing events are imminently occurring, such as um, my daughter almost hit her head on a very hard surface in a train station. She was bouncing mm. along on the shoulders of her father, and her father, instead of holding her securely by her feet or hands, he was holding two suitcases, his and hers, and she had been holding onto his hair, but then she let go of his <laughs> hair. It was terrifying. I'm walking behind them as a mother, I think any mother would, just not quite sure that this is a good plan. And sure enough, disaster is about to strike. I was too far behind them to catch my daughter, or so I thought, <clears throat> until some strange quality of time occurred or I literally could hear with my ears that sound was changing and the click click on the marble high heels of the women in the train station in Lausanne, Switzerland, mm. which is where we were living that year. Mm. All the sounds went down to really low. 
And so the mm. high-pitched clicks went to really low. Um, everything slowed down, thank goodness. So I could move at a rapid pace, but it would have been like light speed, which I guess is what I was doing. So then suddenly I'm just right in place to catch my daughter as she falls. Of course, I've let go of what I was holding. I catch my daughter. There's no problem. She had been going head first for that mm. marble floor. So Wow. Yeah, subjective time is something we often experience, and unless something like that happens to you, you might not realize just how trippy it is. <laughs> and you might yeah. think, well, it's just dreams. Again, the just putting it down and saying it's just dreams. Dreams are real. That's what I think that's the connection mm. with dreams and time. Mm. That's that's an amazing story. You're you're you, something like that is experienced by athletes i think you also you know when time slows down and they're in the zone you know and it's yes um you 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 just yeah you you went outside of what our normal conception of time is and i i know you so i know you do this all the time <laughs> it's just one story here <laughs> right That's true. we're just warming up here so so, Judy, you know, I would like to hear your thoughts on this connection between space and time and, and, uh, uh, and bring it back into the guidance that you've been receiving. Well, I mean, I can, I can just say, um, I'm listening to Cynthia very, very carefully. Um, uh, my experience is same but different in that the the coalescence of these four spirits, two from the second century, one from the seventeenth century, one from the nineteenth century, all coming together as the at the excuse me same time in in my in my time sphere to voice concern and to educate an uneducated person as to their vision if you will of time and space so that space practically disappears you know I mean I wake up and it's nine o'clock in the morning and I know I'm in New York City but where I had been only hours earlier was somewhere very different because I'm speaking or I'm, I'm listening to I'm being tutored by people that are centuries old so that's probably mm. the best um, physical explanation I can offer but then what happened in in this um, journey that I've been on is space also figures in and that you know that relates to you know all the um, things that we have three of us discussed at one time or another about the optic nerve and you know how it's never really been established as to what its what its actual um, place is in all of this but I, I'll save that because I think I've said enough for now um, what was it that these these personages from the past and it's so 
It's remarkable what you just spoke about. How they're all from different centuries, and uh, but Madame Curie, the discoverer of radioactivity, Steno, the ancient geologist, Galen, the uh, who did work with the optic nerve and is a medieval healer, you know, and they they come back in your dreams and they're they're all alerting you to the earth changes that are going on right now and what needs to be done. So what were they telling you? What was what what is it that we need to wake up to? Okay, well, I, I can simplify this to the extent that I'm able, and that is that it has to do with light, and that it was very clear to me through this journey that their form of communication uses light as its transmission medium so that we are receiving light even if we don't think we are. And um, here's something that Galen said, and I, I mean, I, I'll never forget it. Um, mm. I was trying to understand about what the refraction of light was about. And he mm -hmm. said, from the stars above, the refraction of light parallels the luminance determined by the optic nerve to the five sensory locations in your brain. And wow, that really sent me on another, you know, longer journey. But I think that uh, what you had, both, each of you have said in your own way is that the time and space and in my, in my powder is the, the um, timelessness. The timelessness, mm. really what is um, at play here, and again, the, I think the purpose for all of this having happened, and I, I, I know that I cannot be the only one that has had this experience, I just haven't found the others yet, but it, it was really a, a warning and an education as to how this all works, and that, you know, it is the collective. And that includes, you know, we go into paleoanthropology, we go into archaeology. I mean, it just goes on. I mean, it's the whole of us. That was mm. what their message was. Mm. I mean, hard. And and, and uh, I would like to uh, change to a topic slightly, but be. Before which um, you had a message come through. You mentioned while well, we were just warming up uh, before we even uh, press record. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you like to share that message? Because it seemed appropriate. Yeah, I mean, I think it is right now. Thank you, Glenn. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Experience departs with the enteric soul. This may mm -hmm. be called enteric memory as it returns to Earth when the soul once again is physicalized. It then becomes cellular memory and resides within the visual cortex, which is activated by the visual reminders of past lifetimes. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we could probably just have a show just on that, but, you know, I... <laughs> I'm going to. I. Uh, what is your uh, uh, reaction to that, uh, Cynthia? What does that mean for 
for you um, because it somehow triggers something to me about what you're doing with the mandala effect, but I'm not sure why, but oh my go gosh. ahead. Yes, so. yes, it's brilliant. I love it. It's um, Well, I love the feeling that there's this uh, this quality of information and consciousness that is fundamental. And again, with you know, with quantum physics, consciousness is fundamental, and that's something that even the founder of quantum physics said, Max Planck. But the other thing that came up with that beautiful quote is that um, it, it asks the question, what is memory, just through its wording. Anybody hearing that mm. deeply would automatically, that's where I find myself going, what is memory? What is the nature of memory? And, it, um, and then, of course, we know that it indicates memory is how we know that we've traveled through time. Because if mm-hmm. we don't have a memory, then we didn't travel through time. This could be a future memory, which is an idea described by PMH Atwater. But it's also, we typically think in terms of past memories. I get both. So when I get a memory, I it may seem weird, but I have to first figure out, okay, has this happened yet or not? And so some of us who are in that <laughs> dream that, because in dreams, um, we're sort of in a state of no when, where everything's happening, where it's all together, it's undivided, it's all accessible. And then when we um, take the time slices or the possible reality paths, then we see different types of uh, choices and paths. And um, that's what all of this brings up. It's, it's such a deep, rich smorgasbord feast of a quote that Judy just presented. Yeah, I, I'm going to go to Judy in a moment to ask her on what she thinks this means, and she may not even fully know yet, but it was just something coming through now. But, but uh, uh, Cynthia, do you think this has to do something with the Mandela effect? Because that Absolutely. has to do There's with the way problem. memory is processed. And <laughs> if you could address that, that, okay, would be, sure. that would be really great. For, okay, and, okay. and please explain to our yeah. listeners who may not be familiar with it what the Mandela effect is. Exactly. Yes. When you, I don't know if you've recorded that you channel. You got Art Bell with us today, but it, um, if anybody <laughs> knows who Art Bell is, I did speak with him about this um, years and years ago. He had asked me on a late night show, um, "Would I call this the the Mandela effect?" And at that time, that terminology had I think he's the first one that used the term on the air and everything wow. but I wasn't wow. calling it that at the time um, I've been uh, referring to these shifts and observe you know basically noticing things that seem to appear disappear transform or transport that we might call reality shifts um, it, globally when we look collectively and notice that for an individual such as the president of South Africa, uh, Nelson Mandela. Some people remember that instead of living to such a um, beautiful, full, long life, he actually passed away while incarcerated in Robbins Prison. And that was where that term came from. I had previously already written about Larry, the actor Larry Hagman. I think he's the first published celebrity that's ever uh-huh. been described as being alive again. I in the book, the Reality Shifts, that we're talking about today, I mentioned that he had been um, pronounced dead, but I saw he was alive, and it was quite startling. And then my roommate's cat was alive again after having died. So I've seen this is something that does happen. It's not as rare as people might think. It has to do with memories. The official explanation in the typical Western view of things would be that this would be a 
uh, confabulation, mistaken mass collective misremembering, you know, things like that. Um, but for people who have experienced it, it doesn't feel like misremembering, especially for personal situations where, uh, like my faucet handle one day just needed to turn a different direction for the hot water than it ever had before. My, you know, things like that happen, and mm. it's not misremembering because my motor memory is like, what the, what's going on? <laughs> and you know, uh, that's so many, but but yeah. Okay. So, so that's, what, that's what Mandela effect is, and then the connection with what Judy's talking about. Oh, it's deep because. What Judy's presenting is the idea that there can be what I feel from what is between the words. What I feel between the words is this wonderful, beautiful sense that there's some kind of a hidden order that we can feel deeper into, recognize, and there's health and balance and well-being there. And that that imprint, that information is accessible to all of us through dreams, perhaps, or any way that we can obtain a more holistic uh, view of reality rather than one particular branch that may seem a little bit off kilter at this time. Mm, thank you so much. And Judy, I'd like you to re- read the quote again because uh, uh, just so that uh, everybody gets it. And then uh, your response, what you think it means to you right now. Okay, that, um, okay, here it is again. Um, I just have to say to Cynthia how much your memory of past and present, your, your description of that means so much to me because I've had some of what you have, ex- what you have experienced. And uh, maybe we can do that. We can talk about that another time. But anyway, here is the quote. A life's experience departs with the enteric soul. This may be called enteric memory as it returns to earth when the soul once again is physicalized. It then becomes cellular memory and resides within the visual cortex which is activated by the visual reminders of past lifetimes. That's the end of the quote, but I will interject here that this was pointing us to my long, involved journey into the optic nerve. And anything else that come, that's coming up? Is this is this from Galen that that that, that came through, or from Ptolemy? Uh, you said the quote, so it's coming through you. So that who's was, speaking? I no idea, Glenn. It was my birthday. I was in, not even in my oh. own. I was at a friend's house. I awakened. There was a, a little card next to me and a pen, and that's what I wrote. I don't even remember. Oh. It. That's what I wrote. Oh, well, that sounds pretty significant that it's your birthday. So it's it's about life experience. The part uh, uh, comes in with the enteric soul. Right. Wow. Yeah. I just have so, to point something out because Glenn ahead. and I, we share a birthday. So it's significant that it happened on a birthday. And again, that has to do uh-huh. with time. 
I, I just want to point. It's just amazing. <laughs> I'm just noticing that. Fascinating. Sorry. <laughs> No, no, that's true. We do share a birthday. We also share a birthday with our with our mothers. You know that I, I love the European custom where they were on a when someone has a birthday, it's it's the, the the one who was born and the mother that get both get to celebrate that day. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. <laughs> I think the mother was kind of involved, you know, giving birth. <laughs> uh, what's that? Maybe you had the same mother at some time. Oh, uh, well, with this, with this trio, anything is possible. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it back. I would. <laughs> well. I wanted to to, to uh, uh, you know let's let's talk about shifting reality a little bit you know and also also how this is preparing us for what we're going through now because it seems to me and I I I don't even know if if if, if both of you have read uh, uh, the philosopher the German philosopher Jean Gebser have you guys read Gebser. A little. No, but I need to. Now I need to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, what get what get what Gibster was talking about was was uh, he's actually the person that uh, first talked about different structures of consciousness called archaic ma the German translations anyway are archaic, magical, mythical, mental, and integral. Um, and so um, we're we're on the precipice of an integral age, you know. And a lot of people picked up on that term, and other people were using the same term, like Sri Aurobindo. They're they're kind of contemporaries in the middle of the 20th century. But Gebser also said that in order to get to that integral age, we're going to go through something he calls the eruption of time. You know, and and time in the way that we knew it is going to be basically torn apart. You know, and when it and and that's why I wanted to have both of you on the show because you're two of the most remarkable people for playing in the eternal timeless self. Judy with her her dreams coming from various centuries and alerting us to what is happening right now. Cynthia has been in all kinds of reality shifting situations. I've, I've heard her speak about having speaking to her future self, and, you know, and, and and it's it's pretty remarkable the kinds of things you've gone through, and that you know, you actually do. And both of you do this commonly. So, but most people don't, you know, they, that they, they, they believe in linear time and they operate that way. And, um, but we all dream and that dream that whether or not we remember it or not, we all dream. And in that dream world, time is not at all like, uh, uh, we, we, uh, experience in our waking life, nor is our ego. It seems to me, I mean, we're, we're immersed in the dream. Consciousness is everywhere. Um, and time is kind of timeless. It's also everywhere. It's a complete immersion, almost like a fluid substance. Um, it's very, very beautiful. And, you know, um, Monty Ullman used to talk about that too. But uh, it's... 
what can we, how can we, we take this experiences we've been having and prepare ourselves and society for what is coming? You know, why is this important now for humanity and all our relations on the earth? That's my question for both of you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, these are and we only questions. have, I'm sorry, about five, ten more minutes. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. We, sound but go ahead. You want to go first, Cynthia? All right. Sure. I'll keep it short. Yeah, I love that question. And I would say we definitely are seeing this, what, what Gebser called an eruption of time, with people noticing that memories are different and they're noticing shared memories are different. That strangers who never met before remember product names differently. They remember Haas Avocados, spelled H-A-A-S. They remember Thanksgiving used to be on the third Thursday in November. They remember kidneys, right where the kidney punch is still. They still call it that, but the kidneys are no longer situated there. Anatomy is changing. Lots of things are changing. And it's harder and harder for even skeptics to um, can't rule it out when they encounter something that they know for sure used to be true. So what, what we're seeing and the invitation that we're getting from consciousness and the cosmos is that causality is not unidirectional in time or space. It is based on relationships. There is no such thing as um, this pure objective reality that, that we can prove with facts and some document is true because it might change. The Bible's even changing. Now, it's not the lion that lays down with the lamb. It's always been the wolf. And that's just one of many things that have changed. So when we pay attention to the way that we pay attention, we really can live a truly miraculous life. Um, what what mm. came up in these language of spirit conferences was so true that we need to return to that basic respect for each other, for the earth, and that's the key. So we are the reality shifters we've been waiting for. I recommend to improve <laughs> every situation. Keep always guiding your own dream space forward with how good can it get. Be fearless and keep asking how good can it get and you can literally experience it. You can see things change in front of your eyes for the better. So that's my Wow. Great answer. All right. And Judy, you know, how can we prepare for what is coming? You know, what is what is the guidance that you can offer to others at this time? Well, this, this is the thing, is that I was given many, many warnings, and if you read the book, you're aware of that. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's within me all the time, but it's not in the way of worry. It's, it's in the way that you, Glenn, and Cynthia have discussed. I believe that there is um, a potential for a sixth extinction, but none of us, and they haven't said that, by the way, in those words, but none of us um, know that. I do believe that something um, possibly, potentially miraculous, if you want to call it that, would be manifest, it's something I'm working on now, as it relates to electromagnetic energy, a whole new way of channeling that. So um, I, I feel mm. hopeful and, like everyone else, concerned. And, you know, those are the facts. 
the fact we know what has happened up to this point we know what has happened centuries ago and you know i mean the earth is still going to be here there's nothing that we can do that is going i mean i shouldn't say nothing but there's little that we can do that will change that but i do think that if we can harness this new type of electromagnetic energy it could really be something worthwhile mm. beautiful and we also seem to be needing to harness the energy of our minds which both of you are doing so thank you so much and both of you also are are good vehicles for carrying divine feminine energy i mean we all have feminine energy, even us men, but certainly uh, feminine energy is more associated with the things that want to happen together, relationships, and and so thank you for bringing that in. Thank you for the friendship with both of you. It's it's a it's a joyful friendship and uh, so much fun to do a podcast together um, and. Uh, Thank you. This program is made possible in part by Select Books, Waterside Publications, BizGenics, and the Web Talk Radio Channel. Native flute music by Orlando Secatero from the Pathway CD. Liberty Song by artist Ron Crowder, written by Ron Crowder, Jim Casey, and Danny Casey. Post-production editing by Scout Media Strategies, the Circle for Original Thinking is a grassroots think tank whose mission is to seek out the deep origins of contemporary thought in order to remember and restore heart-centered wisdom for humanity and all our relations on earth. For more information or to help volunteer to produce this podcast, go to originalthinking.us or originalpolitics.us, and you can also find and purchase my books, Original Thinking and Original Politics there. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Cynthia. It's so much fun. I, I just really enjoyed it. And, yeah, what's uh, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> Many blessings. Many Thank blessings you. of good health and well-being and uh, to you and to our listeners. Thank you so much. So good to be with you. Sweet liberty.